This morning we come to the uh, close of an eight-week series study that we have been uh, walking through about experiencing God, knowing and doing the will of God. And as we've walked through this study, we have looked at a diagram which talked about the seven realities of experiencing and uh, knowing God and doing His will. And so today as we come to the seventh, let's just again just do a quick review to see how you get to the seventh reality. The very first thing that we saw was that God is always at work around you. And so in our lives, this omnipotent, omnipresent God is at work all around us. And as he's at work all around us, what God desires is that he pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. So this God of the universe, this God who created us, is pursuing this relationship with us. This is not a distant, far-off God. This is a God who wants to develop a relationship that is real and that is personal. In developing that relationship, he then presents an invitation to us. And with this invitation, he invites you to become involved with him in his work. And so as God is working, he set it up so that it's not just God doing it, it's God wants us to be working with him so that he can accomplish his work through us. Well, when God issues this invitation, then what happens is that God speaks to us. And God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit, through the Bible, through prayer, through circumstances, and through the church or through the counsel of others in order to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And so as you go through these really these four areas of reading God's word, praying to God, looking at the spiritual markers along the way, the way the circumstances line up, getting good counsel from other people in the church and seeing what believers say, you take all of these things. And once you take all of those things and you say, I really believe God is speaking to me and that God has got this God-sized activity that he wants me to be a part of, you then come into a crisis of belief. And God's invitation for you to walk with him and work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief that requires truth and action and requires faith and action for you to be able to accept the truths of God, step out in faith and action. And it's like we're talking about there's a fork in the road that will come and you've got to say, am I going to keep going this way or do I think I want to go God's way? And all the things that he's revealed to me. You hit that crisis of belief. Well, just as soon as you hit that crisis of belief, then you hit to the sixth reality. And that is adjustments. You must make major adjustments in your life to join God in what he is doing. You have to make some major adjustments. The reason is our ways are not God's ways. Our thoughts are not God's thoughts. So if God has his ways, his thoughts, which are beyond ours then we cannot continue to live life as we've been living it to join him on this God-sized activity. So when he asks us to do something, when he invites us, there are adjustments that need to be made. And we've got to make those adjustments. And those adjustments we usually will be costly. There'll be some, some sacrifice to that. And that's where it takes you to where we are today. And that is that you come to know God by experience as you obey him and he accomplishes his work through you. You've made the adjustments, then you come up to the obedience, and that's when you begin to experience God and accomplish the work that he's called you to do. 
Now, looking at, at the reality number seven, it breaks down really great. And it's just like one builds on the other. Your, uh, your conclusion is, is at the beginning. You come to know God by experience. That's what you want to know. But what you do, the first thing is you have to obey him. So I've seen the, I, I understand the adjustments I'm to make. And so I take the step of obedience. I obey him. And when I obey him, then guess what? He accomplishes his work through you. And as he's accomplishing his work through you, then you will come to know God by experience. You have been a part of this God-sized assignment. And, uh, and as you're doing that work, that's how you come to experience God and to know him. And, uh, but the key word over here is to obey. And that's where reality seven is. It's really built around obedience. And as you have that obedience, you then have that experience of God. Jesus says this in John 14, 23. And in John 14, 23, Jesus answered him. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. That's obedience. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's that personal, experiential, dynamic relationship. And so that experiential, dynamic relationship comes along with obedience. He will keep my word. And so Jesus says, if you keep my word, keep my commandments, you obey what the father has said and what I share with you, then you will have this experience of God. We will come. And we will have that personal relationship with you. The reason we choose to obey God is because we love God. And to experience God, to work and through your life, you must obey him. Now let's talk a little bit about obedience. First of all, I just want to give you a foundational understanding. And that is obedience is important for all of your life. Obedience is important for all of your life. So don't just think that I can live my life any way I want to and I'll be waiting for this great God-sized assignment and then I'll begin to obey God. No, it's a necessity for all of our life. In Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, Jesus shares these words. And these words are also shown in the book of Matthew in the um, uh, end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Obedience is important for all of life because what it does, it gives us a foundation for living our life. It gives us a foundation so that when the storms rage, you can be able to withstand. And see, the storms are going to come. There's no question about that. But when they do come, will you continue to be able to stand? And Jesus says, if you will obey my commands, it's important for all things in, my, in your life. It will help you to stand. When you obey my commands, it gives me a foundation, a clear north star that gives me a direction and a guidance for what I am supposed to do. The bottom line is we need to be obedient to the commands that God has given us. And God blesses those who obey him. But then the second point about obedience is that obedience is the moment of truth. This is the moment of truth. All right. 
You know, so many times you see in life where they talk about all this preparation that's been done. And then they say, this is the moment of truth. This is it. What are you going to do? Are you going to follow through or are you not? You can go through this whole study. You can go through all those seven realities and you can get to that sixth reality where it says make adjustments and you can tell yourself, okay, I'm willing to do it. I'm going to make the adjustments necessary and you can give lip service to God saying this is what's going to happen. But until you follow through, it'll never happen. And until you follow through, you'll never experience God and never be used for him to accomplish his task. Jesus talks about this in a parable, Matthew 21, 38 through, uh, 28 through 30. He says, what do you think? He says, a man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. Very clear, told him exactly what he's supposed to do. And he answered, I will not. Anybody ever had someone tell you that? <laughs> but afterward, he changed his mind and he went. Sometimes people say, no, I'm not going to do it. Sometimes God tells us, you say, I'm not going to do it. And then you think about it and you say, okay, I'll go. And he went to the other son and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he didn't go. Anybody ever had that happen where someone said, hey, I'll be glad to do that. And he never followed through. Which of the two did the will of his father? You think it was the first one or the second one? Was it the one who initially said, no, I'm not going to do it, but then ended up doing it? Or is it the one that was standing there raising his hand saying, I'm all over that. I'll do it. But he never did it. You see, it was the first. And sometimes when we get asked by God to do things, we may struggle. We may put the brakes on. We may back off. But then after a while, we begin to think and pray more and say, you know what? God's right. That's what I'm going to do. Obedience is the moment of truth. Now, in the process of experiencing God, you have to get to the seventh reality of obeying him. And that is when you begin to experience him. Your obedience or your lack of it will do three things. Number one, first of all, it will reveal what you believe about God. When you get to the seventh reality, your obedience or your lack of it will reveal what you believe about God. Do you believe he is who he says he is? Do you believe he'll do what he says he'll do? If you've gone through all of these realities and feel like God has spoken to you, convicted you, uh, began to direct you down a certain path, and you began to head down that path, and then you say, no, I'm not going to do it, it just revealed what you believe about God. And that is, he's not who he says he is, and he can't do what he says he'd do. But if you take that step, it reveals what you believe about God. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He has a plan, and I want to be a part of that plan, and he will enable me to accomplish that task. Number two, the second, is your obedience or lack of it will determine whether you'll experience his mighty work in and through you. He will, it will determine whether you'll experience his mighty work in and through you. Now, I, I'm, I'm going to park here for just one second. It determines whether you experience this mighty work in and through you. A number of times people will come to me and they have said, how come God doesn't ever ask me to do something major for him? Yeah, I hear these other testimonies and I hear people stand up and say, God did this amazing thing through me. Why doesn't he give me the tough assignments? Why don't I get the big assignments? Well, from my understanding of scripture, what happens is that God wants to see if you can handle the small assignments before he gives you the major assignments, which that makes sense to all of us. 
You wouldn't have a person in your organization, you wouldn't give them some huge assignment that would have incredible implications with your business if they had not proven themselves in some of the smaller things. God's the same way. Can I get you to obey me in the smaller things? Can I get you to obey me in the things that you know in order to trust you to obey me in the things that you don't know? And so my recommendation to every one of us, me included, is amp up our level of obedience in the things that we know. Take the Ten Commandments. Look at those and say, I need to obey those. Take the Sermon on the Mount and the things that Jesus talked about. Love your enemy. Have, uh, have unity among your Christian brothers and sisters and on and on. Begin to practice and obey the basics of what God tells you. And when that happens, then you're going to be amazed that God's going to begin to open up new vistas for you. For you to take on some God-sized assignments. So your obedience or lack of it will determine whether you'll experience his mighty work in and through you. And last of all, it will determine whether you will come to know him more intimately. It all comes down to your obedience. If I went through this checklist, you would say, I would really love for God to do a great work through me. And I would really love to know God more intimately. It hinges on your obedience. Obey the things that he shared for you to do. Okay? Number three, obedience has a cost. Obedience has a cost. Um, You cannot know and do the will of God without paying a price of adjustment. And, And before, you know, sometimes when we look at this, and everybody keeps saying, well, you keep talking about obedience has a cost. This is true in life. If you want to be a great athlete, there's a cost to that. If you want to be a top-notch student, you want to make best grades, you want to get the scholarship, there's sacrifices that have to be made on there. You want to be a good husband, a good wife, there's sacrifices that have to be made along the way. Well, obedience has a cost. And with our walk with God, and if he's got a God-sized assignment, there will be a cost that will be. But counting the cost to follow God's will is a major adjustment that we all have to make, and yet often people back off because they don't want to pay the cost. In Jesus' day, he did one of the most amazing miracles to where there are people on a countryside. It says there were 5,000 men. If you added in women and children, could be anywhere from 10 to 15,000 people sitting up there. And Jesus, as preachers do, went a little bit long in his talk. And as he went long in his talk and his disciples came up to him and said, hey, it's getting late. You need to let the people go because they got to go get something to eat. Jesus said, well, you feed them. And said, we don't have anything. Well, go figure out what you got. And they said, well, we've got a, one little boy over here, and he's got a couple of pieces of fish and a few pieces of bread. That's it. And Jesus said, that's enough. And Jesus fed 5,000 plus their kids, could be close to 10 to 15,000 people. And at the end of that miracle, the people began to look around and they said, he is like a bread Messiah. This is the guy we want to hang out with. And so all the people began to, to, to clamor about him being their earthly king, which is not what he wanted at all. So he took his disciples. He said, get in the boat, get across the lake. I'll meet you there in the morning. And he went up to a mountain to pray. And that night, a storm came. He came down from the mountain. He walked across the water, went to the boat where they were, and they went to the other side. The next morning, people looked, and they realized Jesus wasn't there. They saw he was on the other side. So all these people go over to the other side, and they begin to talk to him because they want some more bread. 
And he saw right through them. He said, the only reason you're here is you want me to give you some more bread. Or maybe this time it's some more fish. Or maybe it's something else. You just want me to give, give, give. So he began to teach not easier because he had such a big crowd. He taught more difficult to tell them who he was and what the cost were. And as he was doing that talk, in John chapter 6, verse 60, his All these followers that they just called disciples, not just the 12, but all his followers said this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Listen, when you're, when you're, when you're taking the the bread and you're multiplying it in the fish, we're loving that. But these sayings you're saying, these are tough. So you go six verses later and it says in John 6, 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, the cost was too high. We, we, just, we just can't go with that. And so they no longer walked with him. And when you look at it, no longer walked with him, it shows that they did walk with him for a while. And for you, you can begin to go through all of this process, and then you get to reality number seven, and you're ready to make those adjustments. And then you say, you know, this is just too hard. Uh, I, I, just don't want, I just don't want to do this. Listen, I just want to let you know that when you begin to take that walk with God, it doesn't mean everything is going to be easy. There's still going to be some tough times. I mean, God spoke to Moses in this burning bush, and he told him exactly what to say. He told him the message to give to Pharaoh, and Moses bartered back and forth with God for a couple of chapters. He didn't really know he wanted to do this, and finally he agreed. And so he goes to Pharaoh, he tells him exactly what God told him to do, and he says, we want to take a a three-day trip into the wilderness, and Pharaoh came back, and he says, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And apparently, if you think you can take your people and be gone for three days, it means that they don't have enough to do at work, so I'm going to make it harder for them. You know, when when they're making the bricks, we bring the straw, we're not going to bring the straw. You go gather your own straw, make the bricks, quota is the same. Well... That made the people really happy. So now the people are all upset. And they're saying, why are you doing this to us? And he says, it's your friend Moses. So next time Moses stands before the group, it was about as much fun as being in front of a school board meeting or something, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was all kind of stuff happening. Everybody had opinions. And they were all mad at, at Moses. And they said, it's because of you that we're having to do this. But he was right where God wanted him to be. And he had to take some of the abuse and God said, you just hang in there, Moses. I've got a plan. You're doing exactly what I've asked you to do. And sure enough, later on, it worked. But there were some difficult times. The apostle Paul, you know, when you look back over Paul's life, Saul, before he changed his name to Paul, he had a cush life. He was the Pharisee of the Pharisees. He'd done all his training. He'd gone through all the seminaries. Everybody loved him. He was the up and comer. He didn't like Christianity. In fact, he led the persecutions against Christianity. Every time he'd come back in town, people are patting him on the shoulder. And and all the Jewish religious establishment thought he was the fair-haired boy. They loved him. And he goes on this road to Damascus to persecute more Christians. And God met him on the road. And in a bright light, kind of blinded him. And God spoke to him. And he says, I've got a plan for you. And he goes back and he spends a few days. He's thinking and praying. And then all of a sudden... God lets him know, you are going to go to the Gentiles. You're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He does a 180, and he's not persecuting Christians. Now he's being persecuted. And for the remainder of his life, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was left for dead, and he 
bore the marks of sacrifice on his body for the rest of his life. Because obedience has a cost. He and Silas went to Thessalonica to plant a church and they were there for about a month and then the people rose up and ran them out of town. And as they were running him out of town, they, they didn't like that he was, he was talking about Jesus as the son of God. And he was staying in the home of a man named Jason. And they went to Jason's house to find Paul and Silas and they weren't there. They said, well, forget that. Let's grab Jason and his brothers. And they pulled them out and brought them before the city authorities and were leveling charges against them. And the very last verse says that they find them some money and then let them go. So Jason is a follower of Christ. He kind of got roughed up, had some accusations made against him, and his wallet was empty. Sometimes obedience has a cost. Sometimes it has a cost. And the cost can come in a lot of different ways. It could be financial. It could be lifestyle. It could be schedule. It just depends on what the adjustment is God asks you to do. For some, a major adjustment could even be your prayer life. To where as you begin to walk through this, this um, God-sized assignment and you're, and you're trying to figure out, is this what God wants me to do? And then you begin to make that decision. There's an adjustment to where God may be calling you to pray more. God may say, will you be willing for me to wake you up in the middle of the night for you to pray about this? Would you be willing to take an extended time of prayer and fasting about this? That's what I'm talking about. Adjustments can come all different kind of ways. It doesn't mean you're always going to get beat up or you're going to give up all your money. It just means there will be adjustments that have to be made. And adjustments will come all along the way. But as those adjustments come, I want you to always remember this. Although obedience is costly, it is always worth the price. Although obedience is costly, it is always worth the price. When people have an intimate relationship with God and he speaks to them and he gives them this God-sized assignment and there are adjustments that have to be made, I tell you, those that I've run into are not a bunch of whiners to where they keep looking back, talking about all the stuff they've given up. They may tell you what they gave up or what their cost is, but they seem to always come back and say, man, it was worth it. I wouldn't change a thing. I would not change a thing on that. You see, when God gives you an assignment, the obedience may require sacrifice for you and even for those around you. Nevertheless, obedience to him is not an option. It's required of every servant. And when you obey God, he accomplishes what he purposed, and you're going to be overwhelmed with the experience of God's power and presence. Can you even imagine that the God of the universe has chosen you to do a God-sized work through you for his kingdom. And then he empowers you, leads you, and you have this intimate walk with him. And you're able to do some incredible work for him. Incredible work does not mean that it's like it's, it changes a whole country. It may be an incredible work that changes one family. It's an incredible work that may change one life who in turn changes other lives and other lives or changes one office. Uh, it changes uh, one company. I mean, there's all kind of things that God can do. But it's, it is God working through you. Now, I cannot think of a better illustration that in essence summarizes what we're doing than a video that I want you to watch 
from Joey and Courtney Langford. Joey and Courtney Langford, young couple living in Tennessee, who took the call of God to move their family to South Africa to work with John Thomas and Living Hope, one of our partners. I want you to watch this. I want you to think about the seven realities and, uh, and just think about the process that they went through. So I want to share the story and let you join in with the story with Joey and Courtney Langford. Joey Langford and his wife Courtney were building their life and raising their family in College Grove, Tennessee, a suburb of Nashville. Joey was president of a successful medical supply company. I was very, very motivated for 10 years and driven by our family-owned business to do and to make of the opportunity everything that I could. Essentially worked for 10 years to build the perfect American dream the house, the kids, the growth of the business, more income, and building this checklist of dreams and desires, I began to just lose my motivation for that. It wasn't sudden. It was gradual. And then really went into a guilt phase where I felt like I was doing the employees of the business and my family an injustice by being at the top of the company. In the middle of January, I returned home from work about 3.30 in the afternoon in College Grove, Tennessee. Beautiful place, perfect setting to raise a family, miserable, miserable. Went in and told my wife, I've got to get some answers. I mean, I've got to know what I'm here for. What's, what's my purpose? This can't be it. I went to a barn on our property, which is right down at the bottom of the hill. Went in, started a fire in the wood stove. And just climbed up on the hay bales with my Bible and my journal and began to just, just ask God to show up if he was real and he was there. Just show up. I remember that conversation and that prayer going on all night. I remember it going on all day Saturday. And then somewhere in the middle of the afternoon, I was reading in Deuteronomy. I just stood up with a Sharpie pen to write the verse in Deuteronomy on the post of the wall. And I sat back down and I remember God showing up. My mom calls them ironing board moments. You have them a few times in your life where God will come and be as close to you. You can, you can feel His presence knocking out. And I remember Him coming into the barn and He revealed through a conversation to me that my life was a drama and I had centered the whole thing around me. That everything in my life, everything that I did and everything that I tried to appear to be was an attempt to make me the center of the drama. I'm offering you the opportunity to get down off the throne of your life and put me there. If you put me there, I'll walk with you. I'll journey with you. And the plans that I have for you will be revealed one step at a time. I literally remember being in that calf rope moment of saying, I'm going to leave this moment and make a decision. I'm either going to put him on the throne of my life and make him the central theme and main character of this drama and see where it goes. Or I'm not. But I'm going to make a decision. I stayed in that barn overnight that night. Came back out Sunday midday. I remember going back to my house and my wife looking at me and saying, Rather sarcastically, because I'd left her with the kids all weekend. I hope you had a revelation in the barn. 
I remember looking at her and saying, I did. I had an encounter that I'll never forget. And it's going to change things. Because I'm no longer in charge of where we go and what we do. I surrendered that over to the Lord in the barn this weekend. My first thought was, oh goodness, like we're so happy, we're so content. We're right, what else could we need? What else do we want? Like, I feel like things are perfect. And so I said, okay, just carry on and we'll pray and we'll see where it leads us. My wife, superstar, she chose to pray. And she began to pray and she committed verbally to me. I'll just pray for you. I don't know what else to do. I put a note in my mirror that just said, surrender. It was a daily reminder as I was brushing my teeth. It was one day at a time, surrender. I wasn't going to think about Africa, Ethiopia, Iraq, China, where all these places. I wasn't even sure at that time that it was missions, to be honest with you. It was just surrender. Let him have my life, and he'll begin to direct it. And in that time, the Lord also started to kind of put little nudges, I guess, of missions into my heart and mine too. My dad offered me some advice early on. He said, Son, let me tell you, if, if God's calling you to the mission field, you ain't going to have to sell your wife on it. He knows enough about the importance of her being behind you and the support that you're going to need and the journey that it's going to be together, that he's not calling one without the other. Just pray for her like she's praying for you. Joey and Courtney together felt the call of missions and met with their missions minister, Scott Harris. Their church, Brentwood Baptist, had an ongoing partnership with Living Hope, sending teams and aid there regularly. I knew that one of John's passions was economic empowerment with the incredibly high unemployment rate and the connection between disease and poverty and employment, that this was a huge growth area for them that they wanted to embrace and grow. When South Africa came up, I didn't even geographically know where South Africa was. But I remember like this piece that came. Almost from the beginning, like this is where you're going to go. Things are going to flow. Things are going to work out. It's going to be okay. And feeling like, ah, okay, Lord, we can do this. I remember rolling over and waking up my wife, shaking her in the bed and saying, with a lot of apprehension concerning her response, baby, I think we're supposed to go to South Africa. I'll never forget the feeling when she rolled over and looked at me and said, I've known that for a few weeks. I've just been waiting on God to bring you there. And the confirmation that I felt that God had brought my spouse to it before I could get there. I remember just laying in bed, grabbing her hands and thinking, South Africa. Without a doubt, had I stayed and been deterred from this journey, um, our relationship would be nowhere near where it is today. We have had to rely on God and rely on one another and lay up in that bed upstairs and look at each other when we have no idea where the road's taking us and where we're going. And it's not easy. I mean, it is tough to look at your wife and say, yes, that big Suburban is going and we're going to trade it in for a 1997 Land Rover that leaks through the roof. And the door. Please be happy with me as a husband and having to be in, in, in my own personal journey for God to confirm over and over again. Her happiness is not found in you anymore. It's found in her relationship with me. I will take care of your family. 
But if you will commit to me, then I'll provide everything. I'll provide everything you need. The testimony today is that provision has been made in every area of our life. That when I reflect back on what He's done for me in the past, I'll find the courage to move on in the future. It's a pretty powerful word on there. It's experiencing God. Here's a young couple that walked through the same thing that I'm asking each one of us to walk through. Let me give you one final point that I want you to know, and that is obedience will be affirmed. Obedience will be affirmed. And uh, when we hear God begin to call us, we often say, God, give me a sign, give me a sign, and then I will obey. Here's a statement that I know is true, and that is the affirmation comes after the obedience. The affirmation comes after the obedience. You know, when Moses stood before the burning bush, God really has a sense of humor. Because as Moses is standing in front of the burning bush, this is what God tells him early in the conversation. And it's found in chapter 3, verse 12. He says this, I'm going to give you a sign, Moses. This will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. Great, a clear sign. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. (laughs) Hey, I'm looking for a better sign than that. You know what God said? Hey, you want a sign? Here's your sign. You do everything I tell you. We're going to get the people out out of Egypt. You're going to end up back at this mountain. And when you get back to this mountain, you'll say, that's the sign I need. Affirmation always comes after obedience. And in chapter 19, they came to that exact same mountain. And he stood before them and God gave them the Ten Commandments. Affirmation comes after obedience. For Joey, it was he made the decision, we're going to South Africa. God began to confirm and affirm that. His wife turns around and says, I've known that for two weeks. I'm ready to go. Affirmation. When you heard the very last part of his testimony, that was after 18 months of being there on the field. And you heard him talk about the faithfulness. He says that has affirmed it over and over that what we did was correct. And then if you took it another step further, when I've, I listened to more of their of that video, another affirmation is not only the effect it had on their lives, but the lives of the people in that church and in his Sunday school class. They were part of a couple Sunday school class, and they interviewed certain people. And certain people spoke up, and they said, because of what he did, it has changed my thinking. Someone else says, it has lit a fire in my life. Someone else said that I look at God and I say, what's next? And the futures of those young couples were changed because of the step that Joey and Courtney made. They took a God-sized assignment, and but that didn't just affect the people in South Africa. It impacted all the people that knew them. And all of a sudden, you began to see other people asking those same types of questions. God is love. Trust him. Believe him. Obey him. Engage in a fellowship with him so that you will come to know him intimately. Receive his invitation to join him in a God-sized assignment. Make the adjustments necessary. Take the steps of obedience. And then you will truly experience God. As we come to the close of this sermon and this series, I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you stand... I'm putting a statement on the screen. And the statement on the screen, 
I want all of us to repeat it after me. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a caveat here. Some of you may not mean it. I still want you to say it. And the reason I want you to say it is I want you to verbalize these words. And there's some of you here that God has been piercing your heart and you are saying, this is it. This is me, 100%. There are others out here that say, I just don't know. I want you to at least verbalize it. And I want this to even be a prayer for some of you to say, God, yes, this is my heart. And for some of you, I'd like this to be a prayer to say, God, I'd like for this to be my heart. But I want to just repeat this together. Are you ready? Follow with me. Lord, I will do anything that your kingdom requires of me. Wherever you want me to be, I'll go. Whatever the circumstances, I'm willing to follow. If you want to meet a need through my life, I am your servant. And I will do whatever is required. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, this is our prayer. And we pray you speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to be obedient to the things that you've asked us to do. And may we have a deeper intimacy in our walk with you. And may we obey you so that we can accomplish your work and then truly have an experience with you. Lord, we love you. And we desire to know you more. And we desire to obey you. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.